0: Children K through 5th grade, you can head to the kids' table. And if you're not familiar with what that, what that is, that's these tables over here, where your children will have the opportunity to uh, use a listening guide and some coloring pages that go with the message and so they don't go to sleep. So if some of y'all need to color so you don't go to sleep, well, go ahead. It's fine with me. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are, this morning, wrapping up our message series, uh, in, uh, well, I lost it, In Word and Power. I thought I had that one up there, I guess not. Yeah, I do, right there. You moron. In Word and Power, right there. Our, our final message in that series will start next week with uh, 2 Thessalonians, Thessalonians. Um, and that series is titled, A Confident Stand. And we've got a whole new memory verse that we'll be uh, working on. Now, next time, that series is only going to be five weeks, four weeks, something like that. So we don't have as much time to memorize it. But come Sunday, it'll be right there in the, uh, well, hopefully, the, the, the verse that we got sent to us has some damaged corners. So we're going to try to get that replaced who knows anyway it'll be in the foyer just where the verse is this morning or has been so you can memorize it as you walk by we'll have bookmarks for you to put in your bible but that's that's next week this week we're doing the the final week uh, when the word uh, works and it comes in power when the word comes in power but let's do our test this morning for the memory verse now, I, I gave you the first word, all right? And, and, and you've got the blanks even, so you can kind of, all right, you know you, you know where you're leaving something out. So the, the first word is? Four. All right, good, good. See, you're, you're already passing. Good passing grade so far. For you know, for we know, good catch, for we know brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5. I heard a lot of watermelon in you know, a lot of humming with the mouth moving, but I've personally, let me just, I've found doing this every week has been the bulk of my memory time. Now, I'll spend, I'll I'll do it a few times during the week to, to run over it, but the bulk of my memorization has been right here on Sunday morning, looking at it before the service, going over it like this, so hopefully this now is a A scriptural seed that is planted in your heart, and you may not remember the address forever, and you may not be able to get all the. Is it for I know, or for you know, or is it for we know, or or you know, are we loved, or chosen, or both? We may not remember all those words, but what I hope you get is the idea of the passage. The gospel comes in word and power and the Holy Spirit with full assurance. And if you can say that part, even if you can't quote the verse, you have Scripture to fight whatever comes your direction. You are, just like Jesus in his temptation, you are uh, equipped to say to a temptation, look, the gospel came in, in power in me, and with full assurance. Just like this morning, as we look at verses 12 through 28, of chapter 5 when paul gives these machine gun imperatives it i mean it is he is going to let us have it with all the things that we need to do you look at it and you think it's just kind of random or he's just throwing stuff out there no there is organization to it paul was a brilliant writer uh he knew exactly what he was doing we're going to break it down That way, but when we uh, when the word works in power in us, in the lives of of believers, the church will have a spirit led response to all aspects of life. Everything that comes our way will be uh, approached and 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 encountered and uh, sometimes fended off by the gospel, by scripture, by that memorization that over time may not be memorization, it may just be remembering that the gospel came in word and in power to me. So I'm, I'm, I have a defense against what's coming or what I'm going through. It's, it, it, it makes a difference. Believer, if you have not committed scripture to memory if you have not put it hidden it in your heart that you may not sin against god as scripture tells us see i'm not sure where that passage is psalms i think thy word have i hidden my heart that i might not sin against you i think it's a psalm i don't remember the address but i remember the passage so that when time comes see see how this works this is what we have to get so, when that Word comes in power, we're prepared. Now, inherent in this passage is a warning that if the Word is not working in power in you, if, if you aren't equipped... To take on temptation or to suffer through persecution, if you aren't prepared scripturally and spiritually, then the question must be asked: Is there a gospel in you to work in power? Well, Michael, I just, I just don't I, don't, I, I, I can't ever remember. I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't feel strong enough to stand up against that. I don't think I can handle it. Well, let's let's pull back a little bit and say, well. Is the gospel in you to work in power at all? That's a question we all have to ask. And a question that, as believers, we have to remind ourselves. Yes, I believe. Yes, I trust. It's, a, it's, it's not a, a salvation problem. It's a discipleship problem on my part. I have not hidden God's word in my heart like I should. And so it is much easier to sin against him than it should be. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies. But test all things, hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is one of those passages, the beginning here, that I would rather not preach. I don't like to preach the passages that say that ministers, pastors should be treated a certain way. But it's in scripture and it's our next passage, so we're gonna work through it. Now, as he gets into this, he, he begins this passage, uh, this word, the gospel in word, the, the, when the word comes, uh, or rather, when the word works in power, it works in power from the church, first of all, to the church leaders. From the church to the church leaders. Now, it's interesting, verse 12 verses 12 and 13 rather, uh, they're not imperatives, there are no imperatives in that passage, those two passages, but they are uh, an appeal formula, it's a, a very common way of giving an imperative without giving an imperative. You know, it's, it's what parents do, right? I suggest you clean up your room. Now, is that a suggestion or a command? Everybody knows that's a command, but in its phrasing, it sounds like a suggestion, but every child knows what that means. Now, whether they respond in kind is a different story, but, but they know what that means. That's what this is. It's an appeal for me. I appeal to you, church, He says. And then he has two infinitives, if you remember your English grammar, uh, that's the verb with the to in front of it, to give recognition and to regard. And those two infinitives carry the force of imperatives. And I'm telling you this because you have these two passages that kind of have three imperatives in them, even though they're not actual imperatives. And then the rest of the passage, has 15 imperatives in it. 15 commands. I said it's like a shotgun. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Don't do it, do it, do it, do it, don't do it. That's what he's doing here. And he is letting them know here at the tail end of his letter that these are the things you need to get done. It, the rest of the letter was extremely encouraging. And now, there were some imperatives, but uh, it's, it's interesting just looking back through my Bible... Uh, Through chapter 3, I don't see any imperatives. Through chapter 4. Yeah, the first imperative is actually at the end of chapter 4, verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So even his imperative there is all about encouragement in the church. Then you get to the, uh, chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up. So he has not given strict imperatives to the church at all yet. And now he gets to the end and he just lets us have it. But he lets us have it very systematically in an organized fashion. And This first imperative is from the church or how the church should be. If the word has come in power to the church, the church then to the leaders should be in this manner. Now, when it says leaders, it's not just talking about church staff. It is talking about all leadership, especially in the church in that day. There were multiple leaders in the church, just like we have today. We have deacons we have committee chairs we have people who just volunteer and by their volunteerism they naturally become leaders we have paid staff we have support staff there there are all sorts of leaders so it's not just talking about the pastor or the ministers but all who lead and he says to them we ask you brothers and sisters to give them recognition uh, and he adds three qualifiers. Give them recognition, but let me describe the leaders to you that should be given recognition. Labor is the first qualifier. Give recognition to those who labor among you, who work hard. And let me tell you, there is not a staff member or a volunteer leader that doesn't work hard in this church i see it all the time as a matter of fact there are some people and i won't call their names because i don't want to embarrass them but i will say to them if something comes up that needs to be done i'll mention or i'll ask what would be a good way to do it and that person will say oh i'll get that and my response will be you do enough I, I don't want you to burn out on you know this, and, and, and you, you're you're doing all these things already. I'm not I'm not adding something to your plate. I'm not seeking to do it, but that is their response. They they work hard. They labor at it. Every part time minister we've had since I've been here has done pretty close to full-time hours if not full-time hours for the part-time pay I've never seen a part-time minister that said no I'm not doing anything else today because I've, I've done my 10 or 15 or 20 hours or whatever it is that the job description talks about give recognition to those who labor now if there's a lazy one that's not laboring well then we got issues Then that's something that needs to be addressed uh, by the the, the leadership first and then the church if that doesn't work. Give recognition to those who labor. Give recognition to those who lead you in the Lord. Lead is a qualifier. The the question Paul wants you to ask is, do leaders do what they expect of others? If I'm going to stand up here and say, you need to memorize Scripture... Am I memorizing scripture? If I'm going to stand up here and say, you need to invite people to church, am I inviting people to church? If I'm going to stand up here and say, you need to read your Bible every day, am I going to read my Bible every day? If, if I'm going to tell you to quit gossiping, slandering, and lying, am I going to stop gossiping, slandering, and lying? See, no matter what it is, and Paul's going to get back to this toward the end when he tells us to test the spirits. He's going to kind of rehash this a little bit. So he's saying, uh, give recognition to those who labor and those who lead in the Lord. Those who are out front, who are doing the work that they are asking others to do. In the Lord is another qualifier who labor among you and lead you in the Lord. Are they leading in the Lord? Is what leaders are leading you to do from Scripture? Now, we have to be careful here. Because sometimes we want to make our preferences scriptural. So the leadership, the direction, the decisions, we might think, oh, that's not right, when we are basing that on our own preferences and not on Scripture. And preferences might not be unscriptural, But they might not be a point of necessary discussion because they aren't scriptural. Well, I would have preferred it that way, but yeah, six of one, half dozen of the other. It doesn't matter. Are they leading according to scripture in the Lord? And no matter how hard the leadership tries, the leadership will sometimes not lead in the Lord. So then what is your response? Is it to then help and encourage, or is it then to slander, lie, gossip, and do other things? And then finally, the the last qualifier he uses is admonish. Give recognition to those who work hard, labor among you, who who lead you in the Lord, who, who do the stuff and do the stuff according to Scripture, and admonish you. Nobody likes to uh, give recognition to those who admonish. Rarely. The truth is, I, I won't say nobody. Nobody really likes it. But as we mature spiritually, we begin to respond differently to admonishment than we do when we are immature spiritually or lost a lost person being told, "This is what Scripture says, and this is how you should uh, react and live according to that Scripture." A lost person throws a tantrum, and then a, a a young Christian, an immature Christian, maybe doesn't throw a full tantrum, but they're they're they don't like it, or maybe they want to pull against. It. And not always. Again, this these are generalizations, but that tends to be the way. But a good leader, a leader who is worthy of recognition, will admonish the church, will preach or teach Scripture in all of its glory, even when that Scripture beats us up. Now, a good leader, a good teacher, a good preacher will not skip over the parts that don't beat us up, but instead lift us up. Let's go back to the imperatives that Paul has been saying in 4.18 and 5.11. Encourage, encourage, and build up. I mean, that's, that's what he hit on first. Lift each other up. Build each other up. And even a lot of these imperatives in here are going to reflect that encouraging and building that are required in the church. He says, give recognition and regard them very highly. Now... This does not mean worship, it does not mean exalting, it does not mean putting them on pedestals, it does not mean a higher expectation for them than you place on yourselves. Number one, the Bible already has that expectation on leaders, that we will be judged more harshly than others because of our position because of our calling, so I'm already going to get it, in, in the rest of the staff, and the rest of the leaders in the church. Paul says, don't even, don't even desire to be a teacher, because if you do, and if you're called to that, and if you are a teacher, the, the, the standard goes up. But we're not to be held in these high positions and and worshiped. And I I see churches where the, the pastor is considered faultless and 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 he is he, well worshipped is probably too strong a word, but have mercy. The 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 way he is at least fawned over. I mean, I like a pat on the back and an attaboy occasionally. Those are nice. I, I appreciate them. But I am not. Only reason I'm standing on up higher than you now is so you can see me. Well, that's the only purpose for this lifting of, of the, the, the stage. If anything, what is lifted is the Word of God. This, this is literally why Baptists and other evangelicals put the pulpit, regardless of what we use, whether it's a table or a, an actual pulpit, but that's why we preach from the middle. You know, if you go back in history, a lot of churches have the the pulpit. Now, it'll be lifted up really high, but it'll be off to the side. They'll preach from over here. And over here in the middle is usually the the Lord's Supper table or uh, the Eucharist table. Evangelicals, Protestants primarily, moved preaching to the center because the Word of God is the center. We, we lift high the Bible, not the, the preacher. But it does say not to worship or exalt, but to love and care for your leadership. That's nice. I can go with that. I, I, I'm okay being loved and cared for. I'm okay, like I said, with the, the attaboys and the pats on the back to regard them very highly because of their work. There are charlatans out there. There are fakes who are using Scripture, who are using the pulpit, who are using churches to get rich. It's just a means to an end. It's just uh, it's just a power trip. They they you you if you're at all on social media or listen to podcasts, you can look at Mars Hill Church in Seattle. You can learn about uh, the collapse currently of of Hillsong um, and and the leader of the, the worldwide Hillsong and the the pastor. Kind of use that term loosely of the church, in Hillsong New York, and, and it's just it, it it seems like there's a an outbreak of this sort of thing where the church is being used for evil purposes, and that might sound surprising or or uh, you know odd, but again, Paul's going to actually get to that here toward the end. We do not hold in high esteem, we do not regard highly those who do it for earthly gain. But if their work is labor and leading in the Lord and admonishing, then we regard them highly because of that work. And then he adds the the first real imperative at the end of this verse... Be at peace among yourselves. Interesting he would put that here. Because the lack of peace, most of the time in a church, will be because of disagreements between leadership and church members. That's going to be the main cause of it. It's it's not, it's not uncommon, but it tends not to be as big a deal, usually, if there's a lack of peace among church members. That often, especially depending on the size of the church, just becomes a little thing over here, and, and they just start sitting on different sides of the church for a while. As a matter of fact, Andy was telling me about a, a church that he knew of years ago where the church literally did that. like, But it was two sides. They split down the middle, and I only mean to the other opposite sides of the church, and it had been that way for a, a while. But when there is friction when there are problems with leadership then that creates a lack of peace so paul says at the end of this to where is it be at peace among yourselves if the leadership is doing their job and the church is loving them for doing their job that leads to peace in a church It's amazing how it works. I believe we can see that in our own lives. I can believe we can see that here over the past five and a half years. As there became peace between, for whatever reason, however it ended up, the peace between the leadership and the church has brought us to a place where now we begin to see peace and feel peace. And when we come to church, it's a joy. Uh, Which... Is what Paul's going to say here in just a few minutes. Wow, he, Paul, Paul knew what he was doing. Okay. Secondly, number two, the church to each other. When the word works in power, we see a difference in the church to each other. Verses 14 and 15. And we exhort you again, that's that, um, that encouragement uh, and appeal formula. We exhort you. Brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. So now Paul moves from church to the leadership to the church among itself. Because it is a problem, and it can be a problem. And Paul tells them to, to take care of issues in the church, but take care of those issues lovingly and with care. We exhort you, brothers and sisters, uh, si- uh, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Now, idle here, some of your translations may say disorderly. Anybody's translation say that, or does it all say idle? Okay, that word it it, it carries this idea of disorder. And the idleness in this context, after just talking about the leaders who work and labor, seems to be those who are idle in that they don't do anything for the church except cause problems. And there are some who believe that their ministry is to cause problems. There are those who will say, well, I'm just sandpaper to the pastor. I'm there to smooth him down. No, that's the Holy Spirit's job, not yours. Oh, I'm a thorn in his flesh. Well, that's the devil himself that said, I'll be a thorn in his flesh. So if you want to compare yourself to the devil, go right ahead. But it's not your job to do those things. And this is the, what he's talking about, the, the idle, the disorderly. They don't work for the gospel, so they work for problems in the church. We exhort you, brothers and sisters. Here's the imperative warn them, warn those that are idle. Notice, brothers and sisters, it's not saying we t- uh, exhort you, leaders, to warn those. It is your job to warn the ones who are stirring up the problems. It's your job as church members to protect your church. That might mean protecting leadership at times, but more importantly, you are protecting the church. You are protecting the the gospel. You're protecting the name of Jesus. Not the name of the church. The name of Jesus. Warn those who are idle, he says. Comfort the discouraged. So we just don't stop at warning those who are idle. It could be that those who are idle, that those who are disorderly, again, we're going to use those words interchangeably, idle, disorderly, are discouraged in some way, and they may need comfort. And that is the church's job to do that, comfort the discouraged. It could be that those who are idle, disorderly, they are weak in their faith. It could be that they're just not believers at all. And then we are to help. There's our next imperative. Help the weak. Help them be strong. Helping them, the best way to help them would be to disciple them. Help them grow in their faith. And then he says, be patient with everyone. Don't pray for it. I don't know, maybe we should. If you pray for, you know, what happens when you pray for patience? God gives you something you've got to be patient for. But be patient with everyone. Now, patience isn't infinite. Uh, Certainly not with us. Paul makes that clear when there's one who is sinning. He tells them, put him out of the church so that that his soul might be saved. Uh, Let the devil have the body, but that the soul might be saved. Uh, Jesus said when uh, there's a problem, come together and, and discipline that member. So there's a time when discipline must be done. Certainly we need to warn, but we need to comfort, we need to help, and we need to be patient as we see change, as we see growth. But when we don't see change or growth, that one should be Put out. Paul is going to say in other places. Verse two, rather verse fifteen. He says, "See to it. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone. See to it that is the imperative. See to it. This this carries the idea of policing. You know, it, it, it it's an odd imperative. See to it that." No one repays evil for evil to anyone. Certainly, in your own life, you shouldn't repay evil for evil. But we need to be watching each other. Are you repaying evil for evil? And it gets tough. Because it seems like when we begin to, okay, we begin to take this verse to heart and, and we say, you know what, that person that has hurt me, that person that has offended me, that person that's lied and slandered or whatever, and we, I, I'm going no to start, I'm going to not repay evil for evil, I'm going to repay evil with good. Invariably, it t- tends to, that person does something evil again. And then you're the, the Judge Judy uh, gif online. Lord, help me with this one. Well, that's, that's exactly right. Lord, help me with this one because that's the only way we can respond in uh, not repaying evil for evil. See to it that no one, you hear that? See, See to it that no one repays evil for evil. See to it. See how I'm including myself now? That no one repays evil for evil. But always pursue what is good for one another and for all. In Romans, Paul says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, make my joy complete. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, consider, one, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but all for, also for the interests of others. Pursue what is good for one another and for all. That pursuing is the concern. If, if see to it is the policing then pursuing is that concern that we have. All right, so we've policed, we've seen to it as best we can that no one pays evil for evil, but instead now we encourage each other to pursue what is good for one another and for all. Now, this is a difficult spot to be in because who decides what's good for one another and for all? Well, Scripture decides. Pursue it. Thirdly, when the Word works in power, we see a difference in the church in worship. Paul now gives the commands on what we are are to do in worship. Verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's interesting how he words these. He, uh, in previous imperatives, he, he would put a word before the imperative. Uh, he would say, even though we have it written differently in English, among yourselves be at peace, or those who are idle warn them, or that sort of thing. This one he writes in Greek, which is a little awkward in Greek, the imperative and then the adverb, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks In everything or all the time. This first one, joy, as Christy prayed this morning, the joy may be the hardest one to do. Because he's talking about joy here above every pain. Above the pain. Joy that's not fake, not a happy face, so everybody thinks everything is great, but a joy that is deep. A joy that acknowledges the pain but knows there's something within that is better than the pain and it doesn't matter where the attacks come from remember that we he is writing to a church suffering persecution in their city so he's telling this church in the midst of their persecution to rejoice always but even sometimes that persecution those attacks come from within the the previous verses about being at peace among yourselves comforting the discouraged help the weak warn the idle be patient with everyone see to it that no one repays evil for evil he could be just talking about general statements but that doesn't seem to be what he's done the rest of this letter it's been very specific to, to what's going on in their church. We don't know what was going on in their church, but we know that Timothy has brought back a message and Paul is answering a lot of their questions. And here at the end, he begins to say, and all the other things that y- y'all have going on that Timothy's told me about, here's how you deal with them. Here is how you can deal with them when the word works in power among you. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. In persecution or attack, from within or without. Somebody gave me a a very encouraging note this morning. And uh, she probably didn't expect that I would use it in my message today. And of course I had not planned it, I saw it an hour ago. But it worked well here. We can have joy because what God is doing in us is greater than whatever is happening to us. We can have joy because what God is doing in us is greater than anything that could be happening to us. It was a, um, a devotional for, for some time this past week called The Stressed Vine. And It was based on an Acts passage but I thought it worked well this morning. So I'm just going to read it to you as it says here. In California, our several fruit tree farmers, I, the, the writer, is honored to call friends and, and brothers in Christ in the midst of the tree farms are the great vineyards of Gallo wines. The grapevines are flooded at the right time, fertilizer and bug spray are added, and generally these plants are quite pampered to produce great clumps of grapes that are used to make $7 bottles of wine. It's not an expensive wine if you're not familiar. You know, a lot of y'all are (laughs) Baptists. In one section of the vineyards are found areas of very special vines that were frozen nearly to the point of death before being planted, and then their water and fertilizer are withheld. They are watched carefully to see that they constantly remain on the verge of death. The end results are very petite grapes which, because they have been stressed, are packed with flavor and fragrance and are used to produce $200 bottles of wine. I like to parallel the condition of the stressed grapes with the existence of many believers who submit gladly to God when he is producing stressed fruit in their lives. Job looked at others who believed in God and wondered at the ease of their life. They had become the big vines with less problems, no experience of loss nearly like his, and with much fruit. However, it was not $200 fruit. A stressed grape takes more care, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. A stressed grape takes more care, and in that, the stressed believer can rejoice. Rejoice always. Remembering that God is watching over him with special attention. Rejoice always. If we as believers are experiencing stress, God's making a $200 bottle of wine. If our church is experiencing stress, then God is making an entire wine cellar of $200 bottles of wine. Rejoice in the stress. Pray constantly. I mean, in truth, how else can we help each other if we're not praying constantly? How else can we warn when we are disobeying Scripture if we're not hearing from the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth as we study Scripture and then we warn accordingly? How else can we be patient with everyone if we're not praying constantly for patience? As dangerous as that sounds, how can we know When evil is being repaid for evil, if we're not praying, we might not be privy to all the information, but the Holy Spirit is and he will lead us. How can we pursue what is good if we are basing our opinions of good on our preferences and not on scripture and what the Holy Spirit says? Pray constantly. And as he's going to get into in just a minute, how can we Test prophecies if we aren't praying constantly. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. See, giving thanks shows our priorities. Where is our focus? If we can't give thanks in everything, we're focused on the wrong thing. We're focused on the everything and not the main thing. We have to give thanks in everything. This is not give thanks for everything. You hear the difference? I'm not thankful for the disease that may take my life. I'm not thankful for the the alcoholism that uh, a family member suffers from. I'm not thankful for any number of things. But I am thankful in those things, regardless of those things, in spite of those things. Why? Because I rejoiced always... I prayed constantly, and now I know that the stress of whatever the situation is, I can be thankful in it because God's making $200 bottles of wine. God is doing great things. And if we are giving thanks in all things, through all things, in spite of all things, then we are showing the focus of our worship he is talking about the church in worship, right? We rejoice always. When we come uh, in, on this Sunday morning, we sing, There's joy in the house of the Lord. Why? Because we rejoice always. We sing songs of prayer. Don't know that we did this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Yes, we did. We sing songs of prayer. Praying for God, singing prayers to God that He would show up, that He would do things among us. We give thanks as we sing, as we worship. Because when we come here on Sunday morning, our focus is not anything except the Lord. Giving thanks shows our priority. It is not about us, it is about God and last When the word works in power, it works from the church to the spirit. Verses 19 through 22. Don't stifle the, the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. First two negative imperatives. But test all things, hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. You affect worship. Every Sunday when you come in, you affect the kind of worship we will have that day. I affect the kind of worship we will have that day. That's why pastors hate, 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 hate. To be told of something negative that's going on right before the service on Sunday morning. Because we are at that point. It, just, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how minor you think it is. Some of y'all do it on purpose. I mean, not, not a y'all, y'all. But some people. Like, okay. um, it ruins it. Our joy, our, 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 our life is just sucked from us in that moment. Honestly sometimes we just consider the source and we just okay but we you affect worship he tells them coming in don't stifle the spirit it's so when we sing a song holy spirit you're welcome here it's not because the holy spirit needs our permission like he's not strong enough to overcome us but we pray that we would get out of the way. That's really the prayer of, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Whatever I brought in, I'm putting that to the side so that I can experience you this morning. Don't stifle the Spirit. And if the command is not to stifle the Spirit, then the, the, the result of that or the inverse of that is that we can stifle the Spirit. Again, not because we render him weak, but because we don't hear him when he speaks. We don't know it when he acts. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. We've gotten the idea that prophecies are future-telling. It's not future-telling, it's forth-telling. Sometimes there was the future being told, but most of the time it was just Thus says the word of the Lord. And that's what prophecies are. Prophecies are words from God for the church from Scripture. Uh, Part of that would be that admonishment that Paul talks about in verse 12. Don't despise the prophecies. Don't despise when the Bible is taught, the Bible is preached, and you didn't like what it said. Folks, I don't like what the Bible says all the time. But who's wrong in that situation? Me, not Scripture. i told you before, I don't like that Etta and I won't be married when we get to heaven. But Jesus was pretty clear that that's not part of heaven. And I will be fine with it when we get there. I just don't like it right now. But I need to be admonished about that. Scripture continues to admonish me about that because, and I don't want to preach another sermon here, but when we are admonished about those sorts of things, in particular, I'll take that one for the moment, when we are admonished about that, then we are better focused about what we are supposed to be doing on this earth. If my concern is not that, oh, we got to stay married now so that we can be married later, or whatever my reasoning is, or if I'm worried about that, or if I'm, you know, God has put us together now, To show the gospel, as all marriages are supposed to show. To show the gospel, to show the relationship between the groom, Jesus, and the bride, the church. And if, as we live out our marriage on earth, we become a gospel testimony to the world. And that gospel testimony won't be needed in heaven. Therefore, marriage won't be needed. We, husbands, won't need the helpmate in heaven. Because we'll have everything we need from the Lord. So it's okay, but I don't like it. Don't despise the prophecies, but instead, test all things. Check what you are taught. And I've told you this since probably my first Sunday here. Check everything I preach. You hear something that doesn't sound right, check it. I've I've told you recently, and I'll tell you again, I miss Ted Garner so much. Because that man would check me, and it could, whether, you know, it, it might be just a slip of the lip, something I just said wrong, and he would, he'd call me during the week, now you said this on, the, on Sunday morning, and I was, he had a really deep one, you said this Sunday morning, and I was, and, and I was like, yeah, boy, I messed that up, now that was just, or he would check me and say, no, nah, I don't know about that, and I said, and we'd go to lunch, and we'd have a conversation, and I wouldn't change his mind, and he wouldn't change my mind, but he bought my lunch, so it didn't matter. Check what you're taught, but check it against Scripture, not your preferences. I don't like what he said. Well, why? Because that's not the way I, what I wanted to hear. Well, that don't matter. What does Scripture say? Test the prophecies. Test all things that you're taught. And then the last two imperatives, hold on to what is good and stay away from kind of every kind of evil. If what you are taught is Scripture, then do It doesn't matter if you don't like it. Doesn't matter if it makes you feel convicted. As a matter of fact, that's a good thing. Doesn't matter if it doesn't sit well with you. Doesn't matter if you don't want to. Do it anyway. But if it's not Scripture and it's being taught regularly, well, that is evil. If it's not Scripture and it's being said, thus says the Lord, then that guy, person, whoever is lying and should be called out. And as I said earlier, there are those who are in it for all the wrong reasons. And they should be ignored. They should be called out. Their testimony, their words should be tested. And you should stay away from them. And then Paul, the last section. And y'all are looking at that section going, oh my gracious, Michael. No, it's alright. Paul gives his final goodbye. Goodbye. A prayer in 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. All these imperatives, that's part of it. It's part of your sanctification. But may God do the work. And may may he sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound. Passive voice be kept. May God keep you sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. When it happens, may you be blameless. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. And verses 25 and following. He says I just prayed for y'all. Now pray for me. Pray for us. Take this message to the church. Greet all the brothers and sisters. Read this to everybody. And may the Lord Jesus be with you. Grace to you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you the grace of jesus is salvation for our souls and paul says grace to jesus be with the church he's saying church know where you've come from know the confidence of that your salvation know the the joy of that salvation that you can rejoice always and pray constantly and all these things but it's also an invitation Those who would be in the church who weren't believers, and yep, they had them. Paul's talked about it in, I think, 1 Corinthians, saying, you know, make sure you're doing things orderly in the church, because when unbelievers come, they want to be able to hear the gospel. We want them to hear the gospel, not whatever mess is going on or, or whatever you've got planned. It's an invitation for you to respond to that grace that is the salvation of your soul. Romans 6, 23 It says, the wages of sin is death. Your punishment for your sin, and everybody's a sinner, is death. And that is the guaranteed punishment. That is what you deserve, and that is what you will get. Because you're an enemy of God. But the the wages of sin, excuse me, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. It doesn't have to be that way. There is grace that offers salvation. There is grace that says, I will provide the way out. And that grace is a gift That grace is the gift of eternal life. But that grace is not automatic for us. That grace comes in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You must respond in faith. The grace of our Lord Jesus will not be with you until you respond in faith and receive that grace. You want to rejoice always? You can't outside of Jesus. You wish your prayers would do more good. You pray continually. Outside of Jesus, those prayers aren't working. You want to be at peace. You will never be at peace if you're not at peace with Jesus. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If you are not a believer this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, our prayer today is that the grace of Jesus will be with you as you respond in faith to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have clear instruction for how to respond to the word that works in power in our lives. Actually, we have a clear description of how we will respond if the word has worked in power in our lives. God, I pray for unbelievers this morning who are listening to this message. Some of them are young and, and this, they've, they've heard the gospel message in Sunday school classes in Awana or a Bible school. they just never responded to the gospel. They, they understand it, but it, it's never been a, a decision on their part. I, I pray for them that they would make that decision. We have older people who through the years have heard the message and just never responded in faith. Maybe they're hearing it for the first time. God, I I pray for them that they they will hear the Spirit's call and heed that call and follow in salvation. Lord, I pray for those who have spent all their lives in church. They walked an aisle, they said a prayer, they got dumped. But there was never a transformation in their lives. They know it. But how are they going to stand before a church and say at whatever age, in their 50s, 60s, 70s, I've never truly been saved? They do it by the grace of God so we can celebrate that, that you're, you're, you're never too old, you're never too close to salvation to be saved, and you're never too far away from salvation to be saved. May we respond in faith to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for the believer for whom these staccato imperatives come like slaps to the face and punches to the gut, God, may we see the admonishment not as punishment, but encouragement, exhortation. Part of our process of sanctification, being more like Jesus. And may we hear a word of hope, because if we're given the words, God, you'll give us the spirit, the strength to obey them. May that be our decision this morning, to follow you for the first time, or to follow you more closely than we have been, as we come to a time of response today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So maybe you would like to respond today somehow. Maybe you need to accept Christ as Savior. You'd like some more information about that. Lee Bird, one of our deacons, Kirk Mellard, another one of our deacons is in the back. They'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Amy Bruce will be over here to my left. I'll be over here to the right if you'd like to talk to or pray to us. Maybe you would like to to follow in obedience with baptism. Maybe you need to conform your life to Christ and respond in some way. You want to pray here at the stage or turn and pray where you are. Maybe you want to join First Baptist Church. I will acknowledge this morning, so he doesn't have to come forward, that uh, Daniel Skinner has said he would like to be a part of our church come and join by membership. Uh, we're excited about that. He'll go through our, you can clap if y'all want to. I saw, I saw it, uh, yeah. Um, he'll, he'll go through our new members class and uh, we'll joyfully add him to our membership. Maybe that's what you want to do as well. Whatever your decision is this morning, you can come forward. You can catch us afterwards uh, in the four-year connection card, message, whatever you want to do. But right now, for the next few minutes, let's stand, let's sing, let's worship, and let's let God do business in our hearts. Let the Spirit work on us this morning and not stifle Him.